You are listening to Weight Loss Made Real, and this is episode 89. I'm your host, master weight loss coach and author, Cookie Rosenblum. Today and every Tuesday, I'm going to coach you and teach you how to end your emotional eating, how to bust through those urges to binge, and how to leave all those overeating habits in the past. If you just found me, welcome, my friend. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. I appreciate your time listening. Today, we have a special treat. We have a special guest, and she is a coach friend of mine. Her name is Jill Farmer. Jill is the author of a book that I absolutely love and I think would be useful for so many of the people I work with to read. The book is called There's Not Enough Time and Other Lies We Tell Ourselves. It debuted as a bestseller in the time management category on Amazon. In 2015, the Washington Post named Jill to its 21-day time hacker team as one of the top time experts in the country. And right now, Jill travels around delivering keynotes and also teaching her program to top companies and organizations around the world. In addition to that, and being a master coach, Jill also has retreats, and you will get a link to learn more about the retreats that she does in the show notes, so stay tuned. Today's episode of Weight Loss Made Real is brought to you by the Freedom Group, a coaching group that helps you pursue your goals of ending that emotional eating and losing weight and bringing more happiness into your life. Check the show notes for more information on the Freedom Group. So I'm going to take a pause right now and join me as I welcome Jill to learn how there is enough time in your life to do all the important things you want to do, particularly when you're trying to make changes. Here we go. Welcome, Jill. Thanks so much. I'm so glad to be here with you today, Cookie, to talk about this. I think it's important stuff for us to think about and, and to get some new ideas around because a lot of us have some old patterns around time and overwhelm. I totally agree. The knowledge that you have that I want to share with my listeners today, it's one of my three favorite subjects, time management, organizing, and planning. So tell me this, how would you describe what you do? I would describe what I do is the, what my favorite work in the world to do is to help people to come up with a new way to launch action and make decisions that often is not coming from that stressed out, overwhelmed, pressurized place that we were conditioned to do everything in our lives from the time we were really, really little. And the problem with that old way of doing things and to, to launch action and make decisions from that pressurized stress place is it's not sustainable. It burns us out. It makes us feel so overwhelmed that we forget how to prioritize what really matters to us. And then we just kind of feel like we're inadequate and a failure and never going to get our act together. So the work that I love doing is helping people to um, have a new way of understanding and a new perspective around time and overwhelm so they can get to the good stuff, get to the stuff that matters and live a more meaningful life. Yeah. And in the case of my listeners, it's getting to something really important, which is learning how to make a big change in themselves, in their lives. So the stressed out places where I see them overwhelmed and stressed, and you're saying, tell me if this is right, you're saying that that's the most common place we all come from, but it doesn't have to be that way. That's the place we all come from, but it's also the least effective place for us to to prioritize and to get 
to get meaningful stuff done. It's it's a very ineffective. Our brain doesn't work as well in that spot. Our body doesn't work as well for us when we're in that stressed out, freaked out, pressurized mode. And um, and over time, it starts to take its toll. And so it's understanding how to start with our brains to kind of re rewire the circuitry, if you will. It allows us to get a lot more meaningful stuff done and the stuff that really matters in less time. Okay, I'm excited that we're going to be covering all of this. Do you mind sharing how you came to be a time expert? And what do you call yourself? Am I saying the right phrase here? <laughs> well, it's funny because, you know, a few years ago, the Washington Post had me be on uh, this time hacker team of some of the top time management experts in the country. And I and I always laugh if I'm speaking to groups and say, hey, I um, this is funny that I'm considered a time management expert because I don't really think you can manage time, right? Time is fixed. What we have to learn to manage is our focus and our minds. And it's also funny to people who've known me my whole life because I was not that person that you looked at and said, wow, she is so efficient and and she is a productivity queen. And look at how wonderful she is at getting lots of stuff done and not very much time and being calm and, and collected and organized about it. So time management and learning a whole new way to think about time and overwhelm has really been more of my hero's journey, not the place that I started out being great at, but it was the place where I had the most suffering. It was really causing me to um, to suffer in all aspects of my life, in my personal life, in my professional life. I I kept trying to change the circumstances of my life so that I wouldn't be as stressed out and overwhelmed. I left my job in TV news as an anchor and reporter, what many would have considered the height of my career. I was an Emmy award winning television reporter and anchor. And I left that job in order to control the circumstances of my life so I could be less stressed and overwhelmed and get to the things that mattered to me more. And six months after I made that decision, I was still as stressed out and overwhelmed as I'd ever been. And that was kind of the awakening point for me. I always call it my pivot point or um, when one of my favorite authors, J.K. Rowling of Harry Potter fame says, rock bottom is a fabulous place for which to begin to rebuild your life. And for me, making that drastic circumstance change in my life and recognizing that I still felt as stressed and overwhelmed as I'd been you know, when I was at the height of working, being a working mom at my career was that rock bottom place where I began to recognize I got to do something different here. I'm carrying a lot of this stuff around with me. And that's where the change happened. And so the last decade plus of my life has really been dedicated to the study and learning and embodiment of understanding how to approach all this uh, from a very different perspective. That makes sense. I like that. What is the most common problem or complaint that people come to you with? They just say, I don't have enough time to do what I need to do to be the human being I want to be, to be the wife, the mother, the citizen of the world. There just isn't enough time to do everything I need to do. How do I find more time? That's the most common complaint when people come to me stressed out and overwhelmed. Do you think it's more of a female thing or just everybody experiences that? I think everybody experiences it in different ways um, because our culture really uh, glorifies busy and and kind of that that sense of stress, I always say. In Western culture, busyness becomes our worthometer or our worthometer. The busier we are, the more we're worth. And so that takes different forms for different people, different expectations, different genders, you know, roles in our culture. And there's just the the truth of the matter is in many homes and, and families, women have a role of being 
kind of caretaker and manager of what's happening on the co- on the home front, as well as now some form of, of, of bringing in revenue, a job, a career, a side gig, all of the above. Right. And so right. those pressures create a sense of stress and overwhelm that, that is unique to women in a lot of ways, that sense of never being able to be done. There's always a lot more I should be doing is yes. the sense I get yes. from a lot of clients. I hear from a lot of my clients and my listeners that they manage so many priorities during the day and they're mm-hmm. juggling constantly and then they get home and that's when they're longing to relax, recharge, restore themselves and take care of them. But life continues moving at the speed of light and there is no time for that. And that's why I wondered, I mean, I, I believe that men also have so many obligations today and we're all moving faster, but it seems to be a lot of the women I talk to who work it just never ends. Yeah, that's the the sense. And and uh, my friend Bridget Schulte, who wrote a great book called Overwhelmed, that's really a kind of a case study looking at a lot of the research around that perpetual sense of overwhelm that so many of us have. And she talks a lot in that book about the theory of contaminated time. And it's sort of like, okay, we're at work, we're worrying about stuff in you know our home life and and how our kids are doing and what we needed to do to be taking care of tasks and priorities there. And then often in that, as you mentioned, in that evening time or the time after supposedly we've gone off the clock at work, a lot of times there are work concerns or we're, you know, trying to, to squeeze in a few more tasks related to our careers or jobs in that evening time. And so it starts to feel like there's just never a time when we're allowed to step off the hamster wheel and, and, and refuel our tanks, which is, which is a detrimental long term to our physical, I think, as well as our, you know, spiritual and mental well being. And would you consider that a reality, a circumstance, or the, a way of looking at your life that's a detriment? I think it's uh, there's there are certainly external expectations that that are out there sometimes from our jobs, from, you know, culture and the way that we're supposed to look as ideal moms and the, you know, the, the, the perfect Pinterest mom, as I like to refer to it. But those, those external expectations are still only matter if we decide that they're what gets to matter or gets to drive us. And so ultimately we are responsible for our own are taking priority for ourselves of what what our values are, what matters to us, and how we dare to commit and be devoted to what matters to us, meaning without trying to win, you know, every popularity contest in the world or have everybody else or play this martyr where everybody else in the world looks at us and says, oh, gee, they do it all and they do it perfectly. And sometimes as women, we have a hard time giving up. Our ego has a hard time giving up some of those external pats on the back in in exchange for a greater sense of commitment to our values individually and to our own individual family values in a way that 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 you know supports our health and well-being in the long run so we need to look at it we need to step back and look at it as yes there is the reality of your life and your circumstances and what you are committed to but prior to even looking at that and trying to rearrange that as you did in in the beginning of your book, which was a really good description of all the different things you tried, prior to that, we also have to step back and look at how we're looking at our life. Yeah, for sure. And I think the most important step to begin to take, and it's a practice. I mean, every day still for me, even though this is, you know, what I've immersed myself in, in my own life for the last decade 
it's still, you know, it's a practice to begin to relearn how all of us every day, how I launch action and make decisions, right? The most primitive part of my brain and the part that was conditioned back from the time when I was a little kid to hurry up because I was running out of time. You know, my, my parents weren't bad people, but like all parents through, you know, time, that's how you tried to get kids to realize that they needed to get into action was to scare them into motion. And so we have very old patterns, very primal patterns, part of our brain that stopped developing around the age of five that tell us that how we make decisions and launch into action comes from a fear that we're running out of time and there's not enough of it. And the pr- and the truth is when we are in that fight or flight mode, right, or that stressed out overwhelm or that stressed out mode to try to jump into action and make decisions, it actually makes us stupider. We're not as good at that stuff that you talked about loving doing like organizing and planning. It makes us more reactionary, which makes us less collaborative, which in other words, we're really bad at getting along with people and utilizing the resources that are around us to make things easier for ourselves. And so we have these old conditions and patterns of saying, oh my gosh, I'm running out of time. That's how I need to jump into action and make decisions. But we're doing it then in that stressed out place from a place where our brain isn't very good at making decisions or we're not very good at utilizing the resources around us. And over time, it just burns us out physically and emotionally to be in that stressed out mode. So the place to start is in the very simple but not always easy (laughs) practice of pausing and noticing. I notice I'm telling myself there's not enough time again. Oh, remember, time is fixed. There are the same 24 hours in the day. I notice I'm having that thought. There is enough time. Now, what do I want to choose to do with this time that's available to me? Where are my priorities? Because when we're in that freaked out, stressed out mode, the interesting thing about it is the brain actually loses the ability to prioritize So I always say it's like we're in this nightmare game of dodgeball and we can't tell whether somebody's throwing, you know, real bricks or foam bricks at us. Right. It's like, it, ah. it all feels like one big threat coming in. Right, us. right. So then we do stuff that later on we look back and we have this kind of shame and regret. So instead of, you know, prioritizing that a kid is sick and we want to support them and be present to what they are, we're freaked out because the neighbor wanted us to give them an answer about a picnic that's happening six months from now that right. really is not right. a so we we say I can't take care of you right now even though you're sick because I've got to get back right. to Betty about that thing that's that kind of crazy lack of prioritization that happens or back to to the 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 work that you you do we convince ourselves that it's just better if we hurry up and go through the drive-through so we can so we can just get that food stuffed down our throats and get on to whatever the next thing is instead of recognizing what really matters long term is fueling my body with something that sustains my health, my well-being long term. Or instead of saying, putting my tennis shoes on and taking that 20 minute walk in the morning, we convince ourselves that, you know, the that we just need to get in and get down and sit down at our desk to get going at stuff even though if we would have taken that time for that 20 minutes of that prioritization, it would have made us more efficient. We would have saved that that 20 minutes at our desk of kind of frantic, unfocused, you know, ADD-like um, mm-hmm. jumping around to different tasks. We would have saved that 20 minutes often three or four times over right. throughout the day by by getting that physical engagement, being present, getting our bodies 
our heart pumping and um, our mind calmed down a little bit. It's that's the that's that reprioritization that I'm talking about when we dare to say, oh, yeah, I noticed that trigger, that stress trigger, that sensation of of there's not enough time is there. But I also know that when I let that fight or flight or stress response drive the bus for me, yes, tends to take me in this crazy, swirly, unfocused, panic ridden hamster wheel like (laughs) place that doesn't serve my long-term intentions. And so that's the place where we really got to start is in that noticing space. Yes. Noticing and the pause. So yep. here's a question for you. One of my principles that I teach to my clients is that we look at working on their weight, their eating, their habits, the whole thing, their life, their self-care. We look at it as project you. Mm-hmm. What do you think about looking at this goal, which has so many moving parts as a project instead of just things that they have to do? Yeah, I think that's huge. I think a lot of the the other work that I do is around intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation, right? And so what, and what does that mean? Well, extrinsic motivation is that outside stuff. I need to look like this. I need to have other people think this about me. This is the number that needs to be there. And the research is showing us over and over again that when we try to, when we focus exclusively on those extrinsic motivations uh, in life, Long term, it's just a very, it's not a very effective place to plug into, um, it's not a very good power source long term. We, we tend to get distracted, distur- discouraged, moved away. And so I love the, the thinking of this as the, the construct of Project U because it's a deeper, more meaningful, intrinsic way to think about like this is this is not a short term get get my bikini body beach body here right. in 6 weeks this is a way of being that gives me an opportunity to experience more energy fulfillment connection confidence all the things that 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 I that that matter to me in life in a more meaningful way and the research backs it up that's 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 where we turn the the ship, as I like to, the metaphor I like to say is, you know, people get all panicky and say, oh, this is too hard for me to change this direction. But think about it in terms of like a ship. One or two degrees in the, in, in turning the direction of the ship is the difference between going to one continent or another. So thinking about the, the project of me as a more, all these different moving parts, taking those degrees of turns in the ship literally can take you to an entirely different place in your life. And it's, and and the research bears that out that long-term that deeper connection to the commitment coming from a place, not of that panicked frenzy, "Ah, I got to get all this done right now. But from that calmer, clearer, connected space, Mm -hmm. that's where we get to show up. You know, it doesn't mean it's perfect. It doesn't mean there aren't days when it's like, Oh boy, I'm back on the hamster wheel again. It just means we now have the tools to reconnect to a different way of of thinking and being. And that's, I think, the important thing to consider. Yeah, I think it also helps you connect everything you're doing and look at the bigger picture, as you said, so that you're not, you're less likely to, perhaps if you don't do exactly what you wanted to do, you're less likely to give up and just stop because you see that as one piece of the whole big project you and Mm -hmm. that they're all going to fit together and some will go really easily and some will be more challenging and some you may have to repeat over and over again until you get it. But if you put them all together, I think the perspective helps versus I have to do these 93 different things 
and and how do, how do I motivate myself to capture them all and keep going? Yeah, I think you're you're exactly right, and it and it really fits into another tool which I teach a lot, um, which I learned from um, the somebody who who you've learned from too, Martha Beck. Um, the concept of turtle steps. Um, because anytime something kind of feels big and onerous to us, some big project or big goal, a lot of times we subconsciously move away from it. We procrastinate or we kind of hide out in that busy, again, that hamster on the wheel zone because it feels threatening and overwhelming to us. And so she um, originally taught me the concept of this idea of turtle steps, which it's if you think about a turtle having ridiculously easy, ridiculously short legs in relation right. to the rest of its body. Um, it can only take ridiculously small steps in its in its you know ability to traverse very wide terrains and and vast uh, distances really um, in the course of its life. It takes ridiculously little steps. And so when we give ourselves permission to kind of visualize that and say, okay, so I'm not going to lose all the weight and completely change every aspect of of you know the way that I eat and move in in 48 hours here, what are some ridiculously easy steps I can take in this, this in, in, in connection to this, you know, project you, um, project me, um, how does that fit into it? And, and it's such a refreshing perspective for a lot of people to give themselves permission to commit to ridiculously easy steps as opposed to taking it all on perfectly from the get go. And that's where I think people get into that, you know, hiding out zone of it's just too much. It's too big. I'll do it later. I'll figure it out later. I'll get to it later. When you say, well, yes, you know, today's a day where I may only take three ridiculously easy steps toward this and that's okay. Yes. I love that. Turtle steps. Okay. We're going to come back to that. As I said, I am the planning queen. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about where planning ahead fits into making peace with time and what you want to accomplish? Because I'm a big believer in using your higher brain to plan, which is a little bit to me like programming your brain to get you to do what you want to do. Yeah, we again, there's this a lot of people have this idea that, oh, there's just too many moving parts and I can't have it all perfectly organized and planned. So I'll just kind of take it as it comes. And that's, you know, we have different personalities and different personalities have different preferences toward how much planning and control we sort of like for mapping out um, our, our lives. But what I see happening is some people who are particularly stressed and overwhelmed avoid planning because they are afraid that there's, that there's going to be too much new stuff that comes up and then they can't be successful, quote unquote, at what they, they want to map out. And the problem with avoiding planning in those instances is that life just becomes what I call it, you know, a, a game of whack-a-mole where you're yes. just like pounding down the, the, the re- reacting, you're essentially just reacting to things popping up like popcorn in front of you. And so moving toward those, the things that really matter to you just never seems to happen. And so, so planning is a, a beautifully effective tool for getting that stuff that's like bouncing around in your head and jumping up and distracting you down on paper and on onto your calendar so that you have something to move toward instead of constantly reacting backwards in that defensive posture to the stuff that's coming to you. Now, does that mean you have to be the world's most organized, the best planner in the world, and that you have to suddenly as a creative 
spontaneous person lock yourself down into some prison of organizational, you know, uh, procedures and steps? Absolutely not. What I say to my people that sometimes resist that planning tendency because they like to be a little bit more free spirited and they like to be a little more spontaneous is doing a little planning and mapping is not, you know, locking yourself into a prison cell. It's allowing you to get out onto the freeway of life, but to be in your lane so that you're not going to get head on, hit head on by, you know, things that show up in your, in your world. It just gives you a little bit of a lane to get out there and get doing what really matters to you. And so it's, it's sitting down and doing a brain dump of all the things that you'd like to, that you'd like to, to accomplish and that you would, um, that are kind of floating around as tasks or obligations or, or, um, intentions out of your head onto paper and then processing that list, not in some complicated way, but crossing off the stuff that somebody else's priority that isn't yours, right? You go back to that. What are my values? What's, what matters to me? What are my, what's my available time? How do I make that commitment? Then you take what's left on the list and you put it on your calendar you commit to a, a time and space to do it. And then you have this work and, and you and then you put it on your daily to do list. So instead of just having this monstrosity of of things that you should be doing in order to be a worthwhile human being banging around in your head, distracting you and overwhelming you and making you feel inadequate or just dumping that all onto a piece of paper that has a million things on it that at the end of every day is black and white proof that you are indeed inadequate it takes very little time to get it out of your head, get it onto paper and process it into a simple and applicable plan that gives you some direction, some motivation, some intention. Um, and it's, it's for a lot of people, that very simple step is the difference between wishing, wanting, hoping and, and executing and acting and producing some really meaningful things in their lives. So that's kind of the, my, my perspective on moving from, from, from moving forward for people that tend to have a little bit of organizational or plan resistance. And just to clarify for people who've never heard this expression, tell us what you mean by brain dump. Do a brain dump. What I mean by a brain dump is to simply grab a piece of paper, <laughs> sit down and say, I'm just, gonna, just going to write down every single task, obligation, or thing that I would like to get done and usually I have people do it for the next month and then one for the next week. And it can be everything from appointments, phone calls you want to make to, you know, bigger stuff that you want to, to do. But you get it out of your brain and onto a piece of paper. So it's just simply a making a unedited list, to-do list, if you would like to call it that, of the things that you want to do. And a lot of people do this part. They're like, oh, yeah, I've got my to-do list. And they show me this piece of paper that looks like, you know, a, a, it's not a to-do list. It's a diatribe or it's a dissertation of everything in their lives they need to do in order to be worthy. So the, that first part is important. It's just not the whole part. The next thing that's really important then is to take that kind of massive list where you've dumped everything out of your brain and onto the paper and then move it into to make it a more effective tool for yourself by taking just a few minutes. I mean, literally you can set a timer for five minutes and process even the most onerous to do list. That's, you know, that has many, 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 many items on it. However big your brain dump list is, it doesn't take that long 
to process it into the next space of doing your planning, putting it on the calendar. And then people will tell me over and over and over again, oh my gosh, I feel so much more inspired and less overwhelmed by doing that dump and then processing that list onto my calendar into shorter to-do lists that are date specific. And I'm getting more done than I ever thought possible just by by giving myself that, that little bit of planning tool in my life. So don't just have the giant 3,000 item to-do list, but possibly divide it into categories like your home, your kids if you have any, your business, errands, calls, and so on. So that then when you're putting it in your calendar, you could see what really the priority is. Beautiful. That's a great way to do it. And, and the other thing that, that a lot of people do when they, the, the, a mistake that people will make when they're putting stuff onto a calendar is they, they book every minute of every day, <laughs> right? It's kind of like what our, a lot of our uh, physicians do at their offices. They book every minute of every day with appointments and forget the fact that life happens and there needs to be a little space in that booking because what other hap- what happens then? You get really behind and you know there's no way to kind of keep up. So I suggest as people are are taking their that those more monumental task lists that they've created for themselves and putting them on to time specific areas on the or time specific um, places on their calendar that you leave any and most productivity experts will confirm this. You need to leave um, 50 to um, 40 to 50 percent of your calendar open, not scheduled so tight to the minute so that you have time for those unexpected tasks, those unexpected conversations, those other needs that arise that are still productive and important part of your day um, that show up. And so, and then that space in your calendar is also where you get to then those more specific task lists as they fit in, you know, as you're able to do that. Um, it's, it's a really effective way of getting more done. Um, it's just not, a lot of us have never been taught that we're either taught to just like dive in and just start doing stuff from the moment we hit wake up in the morning until we're done, um, with no priority order or to just jam pack our schedule so tight with no break that as you mentioned, by the time you get home at night, you're so exhausted. There's no space. There's no bandwidth left sometimes for even the stuff that really matters to us, like relating meaningfully to our family, like learning, reading, moving our bodies, eating in a way that fuels us nutritionally and more meaningfully. Yes. And, and one thing I like to think about is I think some people have the mistaken idea that someday they're going to get to the end of their list. Right. Right. (laughs) And I don't think you will never not have a list while you're still on this earth, as long as you're still able to get around and have things that you want to do. So I think the list is more for capturing and prioritizing and thinking about what you're going to do and getting it done versus getting everything done and having zero to do and laying on a lounge chair somewhere. Beautiful. And that's the thing. Laying on a lounge chair somewhere needs to happen, right? That refueling of yes. your body, that rest yes. needs to happen. It, it and, and so it actually needs to go on your to-do list, yes. right? And that becomes an important thing to prioritize as opposed to exactly what you identified. Okay, I'm just going to have this, this, this almost childish um, thought that, okay, once I get everything done, then I deserve to finally rest because that's not realistic. There's never going to be a time as a human being living in the world where you're, where 
there's there's nothing you need to do. Of course, right. It's the fantasy, though. But I like the idea that you're saying, just like my clients who say, well, when I get to X weight on the scale, that's when I will take care of myself and have fun and so on. I like that you're saying to leave a chunk of your calendar open for things that come up that you can't plan and for breathing space. And one thing in your book that I love that I want you to tell me about is your fun prescription. Where does this fit in? Well, the <laughs> the thing that, that um, we have to remember is that as human beings, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, we are designed to be in periods of activity and motion and and then to be in in periods where we where we fuel refuel ourselves right with nourishment and with rest and with quiet and pleasure and we we just forget that that's a necessary part of the component and so what i find is particularly with very type a people that we need to actually almost assign or commit uh, assign ourselves or commit <laughs> to the task, if you will, of having some quiet time every day and also of having of giving yourself not only permission, but committing to having some fun every day because fun, <laughs> relaxation, those unplugged times are the time when your brain and your body gets to metabolize and process all that other doing and moving in a way that that um, that refuels you so you can keep doing it over time. And I have people all the time tell me when I, they were so resistant to the idea of slowing down and giving themselves more permission to do the things that they enjoy doing. And when they actually started doing that, as opposed to being in the pattern of just like, burning out and saying, forget it. I'm, you know, I'm not doing anything at all here, but not really rejuvenating in that time, just kind of feeling guilty and hiding out when they were more intentional about saying, nope, I work for 50 minutes and then I get up and I stretch my body and I take a dance break or I go pour myself a, you know, a cup of my favorite coffee or a delicious cup of tea and, and really go stand outside on my porch and look at the beautiful trees or whatever it is that kind of brings you that pleasure, that, that prescription. It's really amazing how much more we get done. Um, and I'm a big believer in that the fun prescription is about kind of being present to what's there. So for me in the summertime, that means that I commit to every single day when it's a nice day, going out and spending time by the pool that's in my backyard. Does that mean I'm there for eight hours a day, you know, roasting my skin in the sun? No, <laughs> it means that I'm outside at some point every day, appreciating the fact that, you know, I live in the middle of the country where we don't have sunshine and the ability to be out at the pool <laughs> all yes. year long. <laughs> yes. And I think people fear doing that partly because they think they have to earn it. I have to get so many things done before I earn fun. And because they think they will go to the other extreme and become a sloth and do absolutely nothing but lay by the pool all day. Right. Which is what happens when we burn ourselves out and exhaust ourselves to the point where we are so depleted, we have nothing left to do. Yeah. And so what I try to get people to think of is think more in terms of a natural ebb and flow of, you know, it, sometimes there's there's more, you know, if you think about it like a, 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 a beautiful stream or a river or a brook somewhere near where you live, 
when it's in healthy flow, there are times when the river is more full and there's times when it's, you know, it's, it's more of a, a quieter babbling brook. It's not the extreme of, you know, sometimes it's a flood and the other times it's a drought. Think more in terms of just that, that place of, 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 I need to do, keep going in momentum to get me- meaningful things done and then intentionally taking time to rest and refuel and have fun so that I don't have to live on the extreme of either being flooded and overwhelmed and stressed out or so depleted that I'm just immobile and unable to get anything done. And so then by the time I do get back into motion, I'm already feeling behind and already feeling like I haven't done enough. It's that, it's that playing a little bit more in that middle space. Right. So we want to avoid getting to totally empty, just like you would never let your car hopefully get totally unempty and right. have to be towed. That's an emergency. We don't want to get to that point. <laughs> right. And that's the metaphor I use with a lot of my clients. I'm like, you guys are running yourself to empty and depleted. And then you run to the fuel station and get about uh, and get about one gallon worth of gas. Right. And then run out and put the accelerator on and run it to near empty again and then run back to the gas station. How inefficient is that? It's crazy. Or I'll often talk about, you know, you're in an airplane and you and in 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 flow and then you land the plane every time you get an email or every time you get a distraction you're landing your plane and then starting again it's it's thinking in terms of how do i really fill my tank up how do i really let myself get into you know into flight here and stay there as opposed to that much more short-sighted way of emptying myself out barely filling my tank up again and then going back out and running it to empty again there's a much more sophisticated right we're grown-ups now we get to say oh that's not a that's not a long-term efficient effective way to fuel this journey of life I, I, I can think about it more in, in a different way yeah and I think we need to remind ourselves that this is our show this is our game we get to make a lot of the rules and even when somebody else gives us deadlines or rules we still have a choice about whether we're going to follow them or not yeah, for sure. And that's one of the things that I teach, um, you know, when I'm working on companies and corporations that around the world is we get into this mode of I have to do this and I have to do that. And the reason that it's important to pay attention to how many times we're giving ourselves the message of I have to or telling other people these are the things I have to do is because um, have to connotes survival. I have to do this or else. And so what's wrong with that? Well, <laughs> when we're walking around in survival mode all the time, that's not the place where we can ever thrive. We're a little bit like an animal who's caged in the corner. And so what I challenge people to do as more sophisticated human beings is to recognize that the only thing that we have to do every every day, truly, is breathe and drink some water <laughs> and, you know, eat something over time, but most of us can even get by a little ways uh, before we have to do that. Um, so if we begin to get a little more sophisticated, you know, these are actually choices. Now they're choices I'm making because the consequences of not doing them, you know, would stink. I am choosing today, for instance, to uh, do some tax paperwork um, that because the choice of not doing that would would not be positive for me, but it's still a choice instead of, oh, I have to do this. When I recognize I'm choosing to do this, ooh, I step into a little bit more of that adult space that tends to be a little wiser and a little calmer. And then when I go to the level 500 course of this and say, I actually get to do it, 
right? Yes, yes. different because perspective. The, it is because the brain cannot feel fear and gratitude at the same time. And when we get out of that reactionary victim, I have to, I have to, and say, okay, I'm choosing to do this and reflect that sometimes the choices we're making are not really coming from us and from our values. And we do need to re we do need to dare to say no and step into our adult shoes and have some boundaries or reprioritization and then come into, you know, I'm actually getting to do a lot of the things. Um, that was the biggest kind of awakening for me around that was when I had a coach who was listening to my big barrage of kind of whiny have twos <laughs> once many years ago. And she said, just for the next week, I want you to write get to do at the top of your to-do list. And I was so frustrated with that. I literally said to her, this is long before I wrote my book, but I said, you know, I don't have time for that. Right. And she kind of laughed and said, just for this week. And so if nothing else, I think I wanted to prove her wrong. And, and so I did that. And it was one of the most revelatory actions I ever took because instead of having to go to the grocery store, when I got to go to the grocery store for the first time ever, I realized, oh my gosh, I have three amazing grocery stores within a couple miles of my home. And any one of those grocery stores has more items stocking the shelves than many communities in the world have access to in, you know, a year. Um, and it just started, it was just every part of that, there was just a, like a shedding of this these stories and this kind of new perspective, like a new, putting new lenses on to look at things by being in that um, choosing or get to space versus walking around and that have to. Um, it, it, it was it's been powerful medicine for me, and I and I it's one of the things I really enjoy sharing with other people because I hear from people all over the place, all over the world now, saying, ah, that helped that perspective shift created less stress, less overwhelm, took less energy out of me when I wanted, when I was taking action and prioritizing. And, um, it's, it's been a, it's, it's been a positive move toward getting more meaningful work done in less time. So we're going to reframe what we're choosing to do, not what we have to do, but mm -hmm. that also is going to mean saying no to things. And in your book, you talk <laughs> ding, about ding, the, ding. yeah, you talk about the art of saying no in a better way. So can you share this with us and why it's important to be able to say no? <laughs> yes. And I, my formula for saying no is something that I still use to this day because, and people who know me well in my life will tell you I'm, I am, uh, have traditionally been terrible at saying no. And that comes from on the positive side, it's this desire to serve and be connected on the not so positive side. It's the, uh, a little bit of a people pleaser slash approval addiction, um, issues that I've had for a long time. And so what used to happen is I would just always say yes, because I didn't want to deal with the uncomfortableness of saying no or having somebody else be disappointed with me um, by not doing what they wanted me to do. And then carrying around a lot of resentment and frustration and anger <laughs> toward the poor person who just dared to ask me the question that I said yes to, even though I didn't want to. Or if I were ever to say no, it was so full of excuses and neediness for them to be okay with my no that literally we both needed a shower by the time I was done telling them why I couldn't <laughs> do whatever it was that we were doing. And so it just became apparent to me that I needed a cleaner, clearer way to say, to decide whether I really wanted to do something, to give myself a little bit of a structure around that pause 
to make the decision. And, and, you know, it's Oprah famously said multiple times, no is a complete sentence. And I get that, but just with my sensibilities that, that always felt a little bit too abrupt. And so I kind of, I developed this formula for saying no, that's just really simple. It gives me the chance to pause and ask myself a series of very brief questions to decide whether or not I say yes when somebody asks me. And it's helped me break the pattern of the automatic yes that later leads to resentment or a sense of inadequacy because I can't really deliver what I automatically said yes to in an attempt to that get that people pleasing. And the formula is simply asking myself, when somebody says, can you do something? I pause for a second and I ask myself, first of all, does this fit into my available time right now? Secondly, do I want to do it? And thirdly, does this line up with my values? And the, the order of the questions doesn't answer, doesn't matter. But if the answer to any one of those three questions, do, does it fit into my available time? Does, do I want to do it? <laughs> and does it line up with my values? If the answer to any one of those three is no, I, I can give myself permission to say no. And if the answer to any two of those three is no, then I have to say no, because otherwise I am not going to be in, in, in integrity when I say yes. I am not going to be able to do what it is I'm you know, right. intending to do. Right. And so, so you know, there was a, a recent example of, of volunteering to work at a, uh, my daughter's a, a rower, and so one of her regattas to do food service. And I thought, you know, can you help work at the food tent for a certain amount of time that day? And I asked myself, do I have the available time? Yes. Do I want to do it? No. <laughs> does this line up with my values? Yeah, it does. Because I really believe that this, you know, providing kids with nutritious, the, the athletes with nutritious alter, uh, food alternatives in a shady spot for the day at these athletic events is important to me. And so I said, yes. And people will say, well, then are you doing stuff you didn't want to do? I said, yes, but I said yes from a more conscious space. And because right. it connected with my values, I changed my attitude a little bit and I had less resistance to it. I was pretty neutral about it by the time I showed up to work my two hour shift and I ended up enjoying it. Now, if I was not going to be, you know, at the regatta that day, then I would have said no because it didn't fit into my available. I didn't want to do it and it didn't fit into my available right, time to be there. Right. And even though I valued it, then I could have been creative in saying, I can't be there physically, but can I support you financially or can we bring some items to donate? So there's, so it just gives me a much, um, I have a much clearer picture if I am saying yes to something about why I'm saying yes. And I do say no a lot more than I used to. And I say it in a way that's clearer, cleaner, and more positive to the person who's asking. And, and believe me, we both, we both feel a lot less like we need a shower after I've, I've said yes, it these days. I understand. And, and you're the one creating the criteria and the structure for you coming up with that yes or a no. So I, I really like that. My clients and my listeners are working most of the time on three main goals, Jill. Mm -hmm. I call them eat, think, and love. You know, mm -hmm. how you eat, when you start, when you stop, what you eat, how you manage your emotional life, and how you take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. So this is, as we said, it's a big project and it has a long time horizon. It's mm -hmm. not, as we said, a 48-hour quick fix. How do you, when you have a big project looming like this ahead of you, 
I shouldn't say looming, I should say inviting you. Yeah, I <laughs> but, like that. Right? To keep going. How do you think of a big project in a way where you can go get traction and keep going easily instead of looking at it with dread and fear and not getting past the first three steps? Yeah, I think it goes back to that idea of allowing yourself to think in terms of, you know, some days we have that almost Herculean, you know, resolve and we have that motivation and it's and that's that ebb and flow thing. So I always say when that's there, surf that wave. If there's a lot of energy and there's a lot of positive, you know, um, momentum going, then that's, that's, it's okay to, to, to surf that wave. The, the challenge comes on the days when there's uh, appears to be zero momentum, <laughs> zero inspiration. It's like, Oh, how do I keep doing this? And that's, I think when we go back to that ridiculously easy steps, those turtle steps, what, okay. So I don't have the energy today. Um, it doesn't feel like I have the energy to, 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 take the steps that are necessary toward moving in this, toward this big project. But what ridiculous, what three ridiculously easy steps can I take toward, they're so easy, right? This is not grammatically correct, but to say it's, they're such easy steps that I can't not do them. Right, right. (laughs) We we know what you mean there. Right. What ridiculously easy steps can I take in those areas of making my, my food choices in, in moving my body, in, in my um, caring for my emotional life, what are the ridiculously easy steps that I can take? And and 99% of the time, when we don't think of it in terms of, oh, it's this big hard thing that I just got to get through today, and we go, okay, today my energy level is ridiculously easy step mode. Once we allow ourselves to, to, to lower the threshold, so to speak, we can step into that space, stay committed, stay devoted to, you know, back to mixing the metaphor here, but to turning that ship toward the continent where we want to be. And so we have much less in my experience of that. I'm either being good or I'm being bad or I'm on the wagon or I'm off the wagon way of being. And it's just a much more meaningful, peaceful, honest way of making those shifts than a lot of us have been trained or used to doing. Does that, does that make sense or is that in line it with your... Yes, it, it does and it is. And what I like to do, Jill, when I leave my listeners is give them one thing to focus on as they move into this next week, into their coming week. You've mentioned a lot of different things that I would like to give, but if we had to pick one little thing for them to start taking action on, what would you suggest? I think the most powerful thing that we can do this week for ourselves is to step into that, your adult, wiser self and give yourself permission to notice the next time you are having that panicky, icky, there's not enough time, I don't have enough time space to pause for just a microsecond and notice. I notice I'm having that there's not enough time thought again and recognize that you can make a different choice and say, ah, that thought doesn't serve me. I'm going to choose to prioritize what needs to get done, what matters to take a ridiculously easy step here. Starting in the act of noticing is how you begin to create a whole new, more powerful launching pad for taking action into what really matters in your life. And that's the place where if you start, you'll begin to notice that everything else gets not only easier, but just more 
you just it's it's like launching from a, a very solid springy place if you think about it like a pole vaulter instead of from the pit of quicksand where a lot of us are trying to launch action in that stressed out, overwhelmed space. So that most important key is to challenge yourself to notice, pause, and, not, yes. and make a different choice. Not just react to those old thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Jill, I, I've loved having you here today. Now, everything that Jill talks about or that you want might want to go look for and look at her website, look at her book, I'm going to put a link to those in the show notes. But Jill, can you tell me a little bit about, or tell my listeners actually and my clients, how they could find you, tell us about your book, and anything that you have coming up in the near future? Well, just come to, to play around my website if you want to read some more articles, concepts, ideas around how to... Um, get more meaningful work done in less time from a place of less stress and overwhelm. My book is, is, is I think, a pretty easy to read <laughs> um, listing of these concepts told with a lot of stories and anecdotes in a way that hopefully that can create some shifts. And um, one of the things that I love doing, in addition to going around and working with companies and speaking to organizations and groups all over the country, one of my favorite things to do is once a year I take a group of women on retreat um, to kind of step away from the craziness and overwhelm and into nature. And coming up in uh, later in October, we'll be doing that at a gorgeous place in the middle of the um, Blue Ridge Mountains in, in North Carolina called the Blue Star Ranch. And so if you um, think that you might want to step away from the craziness of your life and get a reset button, the Light Your Fire Retreat is is a really cool space to do that. And so you can go to lightyourfireretreat.com and check it out and see if it speaks to you and come play come play in the mountains with us. Now, that retreat sounds fun. Remember that the name of Jill's book is There's Not Enough Time and Other Lies We Tell Ourselves. I love that subtitle because I do that all the time, or I used to do that. So that's it for this interview today. And you all know what you're going to think about and focus on this week, noticing those thoughts that you go through that tell you that you're overwhelmed and you don't have enough time. I want to thank you all who are listening for choosing to be here and making these short coaching sessions and these interviews a part of your day. And I hope to see you back here next week where we will continue to work on both your emotional eating and your binge eating step by step until they both become something you used to do. We know that is your ultimate goal. So for now, this is your coach Cookie reminding you that as you search for answers, keep it real just like you. And I will see you next week.